Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. How are you guys doing? You good? Who is sleepy, man? Who's sunburned? Who are my sunburned people? Excellent. I will be one big freckle eventually. Eventually it will happen. Man, hey, I just want to open saying a couple of things. First, um, my first thing is just thank you guys so much. I mean, thank you from like the bottom of my heart. I am so grateful to have been here last year to be invited back, which I, I can't say this enough, like I'm super insecure about a lot of things. One of those things is like this, like standing in front of people and talking. Every single time, I said this on a Sunday morning at LifePoint, every single time I get up with a message, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I have nothing valuable to say. Um, I'm just getting up here and I'm like, oh, they don't care at all. They don't care at all. What have I done? Um, and I've got to kill, you know, 30 minutes. And, and you guys are such gracious listeners. And one of my favorite quotes is, um, the mature worshiper is easily edified. And, and you guys have just fit that bill. You are a mature group from the fifth and sixth graders going into sixth grade all the way up to those who are graduated, the leaders. I mean, you're so kind to me, to my family. I am so, so thankful for the opportunity to have been here. So thank you guys so much. Um, <laughs> that being said, you tried to make me dance once and then you did make me dance again. And that is a carnal sin. So, um, <laughs> hey, uh, the, the other things I want to say, um, I, I first want to just thank my wife. She's like back there wearing a baby. She has had a baby affixed to her for just countless hours. And it's going to sound super silly, but like, like I, I can't describe to you just how gracious my wife is. And, and this is like, I, I want to emphasize this. Like I'm a regular human being. Like I come here and, you know, I speak at this camp and like sometimes I get super intense and I'm like, are you going to follow Jesus? What are you going to give up to follow Jesus? Are we going to follow him? Is he worth it? All these different questions I've been asking you over the last two years. And, and I, I will continue to tell you this. Um, it's really hard to not be a caricature of a person when you meet people like twice a year, right? Or like three times a year if you're there at LifePoint when I come and speak during the summer times. Um, I'm just like a regular guy who, who like struggles with all of the same things you guys struggle with and had dealt with all those things since I was a very young man. And so um, I happen to just be married to like my wife who is also a sinner. And I've been to so many camps where like the youth pastor or the, the speaker would be like, listen to my smoking hot wife. Look at her. Everybody ogle her. Stare at her. Um, and uh, I just felt super uncomfortable. And like my wife is just the most, just truly the finest person I know. She is amazingly gracious. And I wouldn't have been able to come here if she wasn't like wrangling three children. Like the first night, my middle kid, you could hear her screaming like in the room. So um, she's so awesome. And I'm so thankful for her. So uh, thank you guys. And, and thank you, Jess. You're amazing. Um, next, hey, your leaders here, guys, are like, like I don't know how to describe this to you because you're, you're still in school. These people have taken time off of work. Um, they probably have pets, a lot of them. They're paying someone to like feed their animals. Uh, a lot of them paid their way to be here. They're paying to come sleep in a cabin with like 12 to 15 people who they know are not going to let them sleep and are going to like, like cry and have all these emotional experiences. They are, they're doing this, and I mean this wholeheartedly, because 
They love you. All right? And this is not like... I work all day with people between the ages of 18 and like 50, like the, the people that are here leading you. They are not inherently selfless. That is not a selfless group. They're busy. They have kids of their own. They have stuff of their own. They have jobs. They have lives. And the people that are here, they are here because God has moved in their heart to care about you and to say, I care enough to make myself available, so use them. They are asking you, they're telling you, use them, speak to them, be honest with them, gain wisdom from their lives, share your life with them, be a part of their lives and let them be a part of your story. I have so many people that did that for me from the time I met Jesus when I was 20 to now, and those people have become some of my best friends, some of my closest confidants, and they've continued to go through life years ahead of me and shared their wisdom and shared their experiences, and it has been so, so neat for me. So to the leaders here, thank you guys so much for caring about these, these guys. Thank you for caring about these students. Thank you so much. For me, the kids just said thank you, the students, excuse me, uh, and, and I want to say thank you. So thank you guys so much. Um, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the band, guys, I mean, like, unreal. I, I started a church one time. The band was like one sixteenth as good as these guys, and that was like every Sunday. I was always like, "What are we gonna sing? I hope it's good." And I just everything that comes out of their mouths is beautiful. It is God ordained. It's amazing. So, can you guys give it up for the band? Once again, like sometimes, like giftedness makes things look easy. And, and the people that are up here are super gifted, but a lot of you guys don't realize like even the work that goes into making that sound happen so you guys can engage. So like, like Cody back there has been running sound and, um, and running chords and dealing with all kinds of stuff. And so, man, just amazing groups of people. And then uh, I want to say thank you to Sam. So um, I, I have known Sam since he was 19. When did you come to Evergreen? You were 19 years old. You're what, 26 now, 26. He has a baby, so Mike is not, not really a baby, but he's still kind of a baby. Um, he's a dad, he's a husband, all things that he was not when I met him. Um, and my wife used to say this to me, like I would have these expressions that uh, I, I wouldn't say about everybody, I would almost reserve them, like, oh man, he's a great guy, whatever, and, like things like that that you say about everybody. And then these other things that were reserved for, for like this elite group, this elite company. And Sam falls in that group where I would just tell you guys, he's a good man. Like Sam is a very good man. And he could be doing anything. Like a lot of times when you hear testimonies of people, it'll be like, man, if I wasn't here, I'd be smoking crack under the stairs, right? And it's like, well, we're glad you're here. And like, those are powerful, right? Like those stories were always like mind-blowing. And like a guy like Sam could do anything. And I don't say this to blow Sam's head up right now because um, I'm going to follow it up with something that's going to make sure that doesn't happen. But like, like truly... Just a brilliant guy who is so, so passionate about Jesus and his kingdom and like you and every, every student in Vancouver, Camas, Portland area getting to the opportunity to meet Jesus and the hours that he has labored, the sacrifices he has made and the sacrifices his wife who's sitting across the aisle from him and, and she's you know, stayed up and watched the kids and done all these different things because Sam is laboring for that kingdom. So I just want you guys to, as loud as you humanly can, say thank you to those two beautiful people, all right? Yeah.
So, well done. That was perfect. You guys are, are truly a beautiful group, and I have had a blast being here with you. Um, I, I hope for more chances in the future, wh whatever that looks like, but just thank you for having me. And I'm going to say this. Um, so, all that to say about Sam and about Jordan and about the leaders that you have, what's happening here? What I watched tonight, this weekend, over the last year since I last saw your faces together for a few days is, is not an act of Sam Cassis. This is not the labors of a bunch of people. I mean, they, they have been a part. They are a witness to the work of God. And when I see 240 people in a room singing in agreement that our debt is sin, okay? The wages that we earned in sin were death. That our debt has been paid by Jesus and that we are collectively in agreement that, that he loves us and we have received that love. That is an act of God. God is doing something powerful in your community. You are a witness to it. You are a part of it. And you get to tell others what he has done in your lives. That is what this is about. That is what this is about. That is this camp every Wednesday night, every day of your lives, you are a witness to God moving powerfully in your community, capturing more hearts along the way to tell people that they are loved, that they are cherished, that they are part of a family, that they are whole, that they are clean, that they are not dirty, they are not failures, they are not rejects, they are not lost. They are found, they are saved, they are clean, they are accepted, they are loved and cherished. That's, that's what we're singing about. And man, I'm gonna, I, I, I lived for so long in a world where like in high school, I mean, our, the group of guys I grew up with were just brutal to one another. We were friends, but if you messed up, watch out. If you struggled with something, watch out. Anything was fair game to be made fun of because we were always trying to jockey for the best position. And watching you guys serve one another and love one another and care for one another is inhuman. It is supernatural. And I am a better person for having seen it for days. So thank you. Thank you guys for that. Something like, like I, I don't do this. I don't take this lightly. So I was like back there and I prepared the third message. We're going to talk about a third story. And I was just like, boy, like, it's a swing and a miss. So I'm going to like call an audible here at the line of scrimmage. It's not a hard audible, right? Like it was a passing play. If you're a football fan, still a passing play. I'm still going to do the same story. But what I want to look at is like very different than what I was going for. So if it's bad, it just blame me or something. I don't know. But um, I was just back there like watching you guys worship. And I was like, I'm asking the wrong question. So we're going to dig at another question tonight. And um, it's going to be a little bit different, and I hope it's good. So um, I'm going to start out by reading something that uh, I think is applicable, and then I'm going to pray. Um, so I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, and it's a fairly large passage of Scripture. It's sort of what we were just singing. We actually sang it last night as well. So if you guys want to turn there, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, and then we're going to go back to Mark chapter 10. So I'm going to read Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Really great passage here. And then we're going to go back to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to do verses 17 to 31, I believe. All right, this is Romans chapter 8. Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's a great letter. Um, it's very logical, very great progression written to people who were not yet believers. And uh, so this is starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we are here because of you. I, I am so thankful to just be here tonight to be seeing these young people worshiping you who are ready to, to listen and to hear, who are ready to cheer for their friends, to thank their leaders, and to sing songs about a powerful and great God. And so I pray that as we, as we look at this story tonight, God, that our hearts would not be discouraged, that we would recognize that the majority of people in this room have found their identity in you, and that is why we can sing. That is why we can agree. That is why we are all saying, it is not us but you. And for the people in this room who have not yet experienced that, I pray that tonight, God, they would look at the person next to them and see the power that you have moved with in their heart and in the leader's hearts and the hearts of hundreds of people here tonight and back in Vancouver and they would say I want that I want to know that God that God who redeems me who loves me who chased me I want to know that God it's our prayer tonight God that, that we would all then be in agreement that those of us who have not yet agreed would say me too nothing will ever again separate me from the love of my God in Christ Jesus we pray this in your good name Amen. All right. We've told two stories so far. First story, storm. Right? There was a storm. Jesus calms the storm. We talked about the one we follow. We got to meet Jesus, powerful Jesus, the second and greater Adam, one who came and conquered nature. He conquered death. And then last night we talked about soils. We talked about the soil of our own hearts. And it was sort of reflective, sort of self-examining where we got to leave here and have discussions with our friends and leaders and say, hey, this is what my heart's like. I care more about other stuff than I care about Jesus, than I care about the gospel. I care more about my own things, my own ambitions. I care more about uh, being cool. I, I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be an outcast. And so we talked about those things. And so we said, who will follow? Will you follow him? What's keeping you from following him? And then in, in like perfect order, we're looking at a story tonight that's known as the rich young ruler where Jesus encounters this person in the Gospel of Mark, this guy who runs up to Mark, and the guy seemingly has everything. And he runs up to Jesus, and he throws himself on his knees, and he asks Jesus a question. And Jesus actually answers him. And then he leaves, and he's sad. 
And the reason I say I want to like call an audible is when I was like reading the story and studying, I was like, here's this question that keeps boiling at, and it's what's keeping you from following, right? The rich young ruler has this identity. It's this thing he can't give up. And, and I just was like, man, we have this thing. A lot of us have this thing that we can't give up, this identity that we don't want to lose because if we lose it, we'll no longer be ourselves. We won't know who we are. And then I was like, man, I was watching you guys sing and listening to you sing, and I was just like, a lot of you, you know who you are. You are sons and daughters of Jesus. And so it, I just, I'm just shifting a little bit. So we're going to read the story of this guy who encounters Jesus, and then we're just going to talk about it a little bit. You guys cool with that? This is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. It says, And as he, that's Jesus, was setting about on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he asks him a question. Man walks up, he asks Jesus a question. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It's an interesting response, right? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he says this, you know the commandments. Do not murder, it's a good one. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness or don't lie. Don't defraud Then he throws this one in, which I love. Honor your father and mother. Some of you are like, skip, not in there. Done, didn't even hear you say it. Verse 20. And he said to him, this is the rich young ruler talking again. He said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You can underline that if you want to. He loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is one, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. It's like a very weird story. So you have Jesus walking along and this dude comes running up to him and we know from the gospel of Mark that he is rich, okay? It actually says, I think, rich young man in the gospel of Mark in my heading in the ESV. Um, So Matthew actually calls him young as well and then Luke calls him a ruler. So this story exists in three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we know from those three gospels sort of a combined story that this man is rich, he's young, and he has property, he has people that he's in charge of. Now, if 
does, does that sound good to any of you? Any of you just want to be rich, young, and be in charge? Okay? That's a shockingly low amount of you. Like, I, I own my own business. I own part of a business. I don't really have a boss. I sort of have a boss. The reason I do that is because I have a problem with authority. Like, anytime people tell me what to do, I'm always like, look, you're not that smart. Like, it's not even that I'm, I think that they're wrong. It's just genuinely like a stance I take where I'm like, I'm not sure you should be in charge. I'm not saying I should be in charge. I just don't think you should be. Like, when I was like 25, I was newly married and I was thinking about joining the military. My dad was in the military and I called him and he was like, no, 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 no. You cannot join the military. Like, if I joined the military and they were like, do 50 push-ups. And I was like, more push-ups? I mean, we've done a lot of push-ups, sir. Should we mix in some core work and maybe some squats? Because you're really overdeveloping pectoralis major. Just as a silly decision. So like that, that attitude doesn't translate well. And so I really, like, I like this guy. When I hear Rich Young Ruler, I'm like, all right, I'll, there's some things to study from him. And what you have to realize is that like the reason for all the confusion on the backside of this story. So this guy comes running up to Jesus. He says, look, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I'm a pretty good dude. And Jesus goes, well, why do you call me good? You know no one is good except God alone. And I want, to, I want to say this to you. Jesus isn't saying, I'm not good, only God is good. What he's saying to this guy is, hey, I'm not just a teacher. You called me good. You don't even know what you're saying. But what you don't recognize is that I am good. He doesn't want, Jesus does not want him to see him as a morally good teacher. A morally good purveyor of wisdom. A good speaker. Somebody who travels around. He wants him to see him as God. He's telling the rich young man, you don't really know what you're saying, but I'm God. And then he says, hey, you're a good guy. You know the commandments. Don't kill people. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. And oh, honor your father and mother. And this dude goes, oh, I've done all those things. I've checked all those boxes. What else is there? And Jesus says to him, he goes, well, there's one other thing. And, and for a second, it seems almost as if Jesus accepts his premise that he has kept all the commandments. It seems like Jesus is like, okay, you are pretty good, but now go do this thing. But what I think Jesus is really saying is he goes, you say you've kept the commandments. Let's just try the first one. So who knows the 10 commandments, right? Can we put them together? I just want to go through them. So let's, let's go through them real quick. Say it again. Don't make for yourself an idol. Yes, excellent. Don't kill. Excellent, that's a good one. Yes. Either one of you. Don't commit adultery. Excellent. Don't steal. Excellent, we got four. What else? Obey your mother and father. Your mother and father would be proud, sir. Yes. Don't lie. Yeah, don't lie. Don't bear false witness. What else? Yeah. Don't covet. Yeah, that might be in there with, with adultery, but we're, Sabbath. Nobody thought of Sabbath, right? That's a good one. Love your God with all your heart. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, at the beginning, he says, you shall have no other gods before me, right? That's the first, the first commandment God gives is you shall have no other gods before me. And then he says, don't make an idol. And so the very first thing Jesus says, oh, you've kept all the commandments? What about this one? Don't have any other gods before me. Don't treasure anything more than you treasure me. Don't treasure anything more than you treasure God. How about that? Let's put that to the test, rich young man. Why don't you give away 
everything that you have, if that's what it means to inherit eternal life, if that's what it means to be with God, to love God so much that you would give away all your possessions, then why don't you give away all your stuff? We'll, we'll test your keeping of the commandments. And what does he do? He goes away sad. Why? Because he had great possessions. He says, I've done all the good things. I've checked all the boxes. I've gone to church. I've been a part of youth group. I followed the leaders. I read my Bible. I put in the quiet time. I'm a good person and there's something missing. And Jesus goes, because you have a God who is not God. You have a lowercase g, God. And there's all this confusion on the backside of the story after Jesus answers this guy. Jesus says, it's so hard for rich people to get in the kingdom of heaven. And all the disciples are like, what? What? Now, in today's world, in our world, we often associate rich people with a problem, right? Sometimes it's like we look at rich people and we're like, boy, what I would give to be Elon Musk just launching rockets into the sky like a mad scientist, right? Like some of us look and we follow rich people, we follow the Apple CEO, or we follow people who have made a lot of money, or Mark Cuban, any of these people that have made a ton of money, and we see them as sort of either a person that we might follow, somebody that we could emulate, somebody that's at least noteworthy, but a lot of times there are these glaring character issues, like they're, they're just maniacs, and I think Elon Musk falls in that category. If you read biographies of these people, they're just insane. I mean, they will run over anybody. They will hurt anybody to get this thing accomplished. But in Jesus' day and age, at this time, wealth was generally associated with the obedience and blessing of God. Okay? So if you were good, God blessed you. You got land. You got wealth. You were a moral person. You were a good person. You were, you were generally obedient, you were following the rules, you checked all the boxes, and God had blessed you, and if you were bad, you got sick, right? God took your land. The easiest example of this is in the story of Job. Job's this really good guy, and then he loses everything, in like the course of like 30 minutes. Says he's super wealthy, there's nobody like him in all the land, and then like one servant comes up and he's like, hey, all your sheep are dead. And like before he finishes the sentence, this is what the Bible says, before they finish that sentence, they're like, and your cows are dead. And then somebody was like, and your house is burned down. And then somebody else is like, your wife's leaving you. And somebody else is like, your children are all dead. And you're like, that is a bad 15 seconds. Like that is a horrible experience. And Job like tears his clothes and he starts to weep. And all these stupid people come up to Job afterwards and they're like, dude, what did you do wrong? Because God is angry with you. Because moral behavior, good behavior, rule following meant blessings from God. It meant prosperity. It meant health. It meant wealth. Bad behavior. Disobedience. Not going to church saying mean things, potentially killing people, dishonoring your father and mother, all bad things, curses from God, loss, poverty, sickness. And Jesus storms in here and says, it's hard for rich people to get in the kingdom of God. And the disciples start going, look, if he can't make it, if this dude can't make it, who just said he has honored his father and mother, I mean, let's, let's be honest. I'd kill somebody before I'd honor my father and mother. Like, like if we're prioritizing commandments, it's like Sabbath is last, because if you're working for the Lord, that's, that doesn't matter, right? So you don't have to rest. And so we start like prioritizing commandments as like what's really bad and what's really hard to accomplish and trying to balance those things. And this dude goes, no, man, I've kept all of them. I've done all those things. 
And the disciples go, if that dude can't get into, into heaven, if that dude doesn't get to be with God, then none of us have a chance. Like, I'm, I'm not that driven. I like to sleep. That, that's the kind of guy who wakes up at six. He's got like 12 different alarms to make sure he gets out of bed. And he eats like the same thing every day. Right? You guys know the kind of people I'm talking about. Some of you are these kinds of people. And there's something you need to know. I'm very jealous of you. And it comes off like I don't like you. Right? I'm the kind of guy like my alarm goes off and I'm like, no more. More sleep. More sleep. And I mean, I just like people who are that driven. This is that kind of guy. He has it all together. He's rich. He's young. It's hard to be young and rich and in charge of people and not be good looking. Like you just assume, right? Like people with money are always like, why are they so good looking? Is it the clothes? It doesn't seem like it's the clothes. His face is chiseled. He's got a very chiseled jawline. And the disciples go, if he can't get in, who can? And Jesus uses this great joke, which I think is excellent because people have been trying to explain it for years where he says it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And like, I've heard different commentaries. They're like, well, there's a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. And in order to get under it, the camels had to crawl. And you're like, no, he's using a story, right? Like, like if you guys were like, oh, uh, what's, give me a country that's not doing so well in the points. Australia. Proudly, excellent Australia. Hey, I'm with you, North Korea. Um, yeah, if we were like, if we were like, oh, Australia's going to win the battle, and somebody would be like, a snowball's chance in hell, right? Like, like, they have a snowball's chance in hell, right? That's an expression or an idiom that we use to describe the chances of Australia winning being very low to none, right? Love you, Australia, okay? I didn't mean it. It's okay to not have points. I don't have any points. Now, that's what Jesus does. He goes, yeah, hey, a rich guy getting into the kingdom of God, it's like a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, how many of you have ever seen a a needle that you sew with? You guys ever seen one of those? Hole in that, you you wouldn't be able to see it from where you're sitting, right? I have bad eyes. I can't, like, I'm like this guy. Like, can I get it through, right? I'm asking for help. I'm using tweezers. It's very small. Camel, bigger than the eye of a needle. That's the joke. That's why it's funny, because it's true. A camel doesn't fit through the eye of a needle. Like, it doesn't, and Jesus goes, better chance of a camel passing through the eye of a needle. And again, the disciples are like, what? A camel through the eye of a needle? None of us have a chance. And like, Jesus goes, hey, hey, hey. With, with man it's impossible, but with God anything is possible. And, and Peter's like, okay gets all excited and Jesus goes, look, anything is possible with God. And I'll tell you the truth. No one, no one who's left mother and father and sons and brothers, no one who's left everything behind to follow me, no one who has loved me and cherished me more than everything else is going to be excluded from the kingdom of God. And, and Peter's like, we're in, told you, right? Like he's this boisterous personality. Unfortunately, in some ways I relate to Peter. Um, and, and so he, you know, he blurts out like we're in and Jesus like reassures his disciples. He's like, hey, It's not about what you've done. And that's the point he adds to the story. That's that's the point of the story. That's why I say there's all this confusion on the end. Because Jesus tells the rich young ruler, you've got to give up everything you have. And I don't think it's about actually giving up everything we have. Because if that was the case, right, this would be a very easy message for me to be like, okay, all we have to do to get to heaven is sell everything we collectively have. We can all live in a commune with nothing, right? But that's not what it is. 
Because Jesus doesn't tell everybody else in the New Testament who comes to him that they have to give up everything they have. He doesn't even tell all the rich people. In fact, he meets a very short little man who's in a tree. He's a cheating tax collector. And all he does to Zacchaeus is say, pay back what you took. So there's a rich guy that Jesus doesn't tell. He meets with several rich people throughout the New Testament, several soldiers, several tax collectors. He's constantly eating dinner with these people and he doesn't tell them to do that. So why does he tell this guy? Why the rich young ruler, does he have to sell everything he have and get rid of it? Because the rich young ruler thought that Christianity was something that you could add or something that you could do. And Jesus wants him to know that Christianity, that loving him, that following him is not something that you add and it's not something that you do. It's something you receive. Jesus is going to, he's going to shift this guy from saying, you believe that you've kept all the commandments and here you are loving your things more than you love God. Little do you know that I am God. And the most important part of all this to me is that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Jesus isn't going, watch me embarrass this fool. Watch me teach this guy a lesson. Watch me show him that he truly doesn't actually love God. Let me drag him through the mud. Jesus loves him so much that he tells him the truth. He says, friend, if you believe you have kept all the commandments, there's one thing that you should do. Go get rid of everything you have. Sell it all. Give it to the poor and come follow me. He's inviting him to come. And the rich young ruler is the thorny soil. He cares more about riches and selfish gain than the God he says he loves. And so I I did all this prep work and I studied all this to say, like, what will you not give up? If God asked you to give something up, is there a piece of your life that you hold back like Gollum from Lord of the Rings where you say, you can have everything, Lord, but not that? Because here's the deal. If the rich young ruler gives away everything he has, he's no longer a rich ruler. He's just young. He loses his identity. Who he is is gone. And Jesus says, you will never follow me. You will never follow me. You will never truly follow me if you are defining yourself. If your identity is in what you do or what you add. You will only follow me if you believe that the gospel, the true gospel is something that you receive and that good news, that gospel gives you a new identity. So here's where I say I shifted. Because I wanted to ask you guys that question and kind of hammer home that thought of what, what do you hold back? And then I spent three or four days watching, experiencing some of, of your friendship, some of your conversation, watching you love each other. And I'm going to say two things. First, some of you do need to have that conversation. It's a real question. Is there some area of your life, is there some identity that you're holding on to that you won't let Jesus push on? That if he took that from you, you'd say, that's it, I can't follow you. I've known adults who have said, I will follow Jesus as long as, nobody really says it this way, but really what they're saying is, as long as my children are healthy. 
I will follow Jesus as long as I have a job. I will follow Jesus as long as I get to play college basketball. I will follow Jesus as long as I get into the school that I want to get into. I will follow Jesus as long as I stop getting made fun of. Any of those different things, there's these conditions to following Jesus. And so perhaps, perhaps some of us need to examine our hearts and we see that Jesus is pushing on something and he's telling you that you need to share that. And if that's you, I want to encourage you that tonight in the conversation, in the response, in the prayer, in the small group time, do that. Because there are people sitting around you, and this is the shift. There are hundreds, hundreds of people in this room who Jesus has called and they have answered. Who Jesus has pushed on and said, give me this. And they have painfully let it go and received his goodness and said, it's better. This is what I needed. This is the medicine that my soul needed. And they are here singing next to you. They are here praying for you. They invited you to this camp. They loved you. They cared for you. And so last night we talked about soils and, and I said, which soil are you? And I, and I think some of us get filled with fear of like, I don't want to be that soil. I don't want to. And, and that's, that's right. And sometimes we need that jostling. And tonight, I want to assure you that you, many of you have heard the call of Jesus. And so when you look at that person next to you, when you see that person that you know has bought in, that has heard that story, that they are people who can till up the soil of your heart, that Jesus will use them as hands, as shovels, as spikes as picks, as water to grow your affection for him if you allow them in. The, the rich young ruler goes away sad and one of the worst parts of this story is no one is there to say stop. There's nobody, not one of his subjects, not one of his rich guy friends, not one of his buddies who says, come back. It's worth it. I gave everything and I got more. I got the God that I wanted because he comes to Jesus and he's empty. And, and I'm gonna tell you this, that working for your righteousness, that doing for your righteousness, that adding for your righteousness will always leave you feeling empty because we're always left with the question, how much is enough? How much is enough? But many of us, many of us, we stopped doing. When Jesus said, it is finished, we received those words and said, my work is done. I have nothing to prove. I have been accepted. I have been loved. I have been called. And I want other people to experience that. And so, Here's my invitation to you, that if you're in that first group, that if you're one of those people that's just like, look, I don't, I don't want him to push on that. I don't want to have to give up who I am. I don't want to have to, I don't want to, have to let go of that part of my life. You should tell somebody over and over again. You should talk to people in this room who have said, I believed, I let go 
of that same thing, of something very similar, of something entirely different, but that I held on to as who I am, as my belief of what defined me as a person, whether it was being the toughest or the baddest or the most beautiful or the coolest or the strongest or the most athletic or the best or the smartest, whatever that identity was that I held on to, I gave it up and I am free. It is for freedom that we have been set free. So those are the conversations I want you to have. I don't, I don't want to start banging on the door of what do we all need to give up? I want, I want you to look at the people in the room when we sing tonight and when we pray tonight and the people that are your friends, that are your classmates, that are your leaders, your peers, who received the only Jesus, the powerful, sovereign, ruling Jesus who loves us and calls us. And I want you to ask them, help me. The rich young ruler was blind. Wealth does that. It it brings people to us. People are attracted to us. They move towards us. They tell us things that we want to hear. And he had nobody in his life that would tell him the truth. You have people in this room, people in your life every day who are going to tell you the truth because they love you. That doesn't end when you get on a bus tomorrow and drive back to Vancouver, Washington. That's every day that you keep showing up and they'll say, I love you enough to tell you the truth to be your real friend and to tell you that you can be free too.